Happy Monday. Thanks for tuning in. Talk Bookish to Me is the podcast where readers gather to talk about books, share recommendations, and chase that five-star feeling. I'm your host, Gwen, and today I'm joined by Haley. She's back to get chatty about mental health representation in fiction. As a therapist, mental health advocate, and of course a reader, I'm sure she's going to have lots to say. Yes, I am Haley. Thank you so much for having me on. I have a YouTube channel. I'm a big part of BookTube in the community. Love the BookTube community. Uh, I also am a therapist, as Gwen mentioned. So I have a lot of expertise in this area and I try to always um, incorporate mental health rep and discussions of mental health into my book reviews. I just can't help but you know, recognize that. So I just started my practice about three months ago. Uh, I moved into private practice from agency work. So that's kind of what I have going on. And of course, my YouTube channel is just Haley Hughes, but it's a very fun balance between booktubing and therapy and I love it. Wouldn't want it any other way. So not only did I think that this would just make for a general good discussion, um, but May is actually Mental Health Awareness Month and millions of Americans and people around the world face the reality of living with a mental illness. I'm sure you know this, but maybe listeners do not. Um, during May in the U.S., the National Alliance of Mental Health Illness joins the national movement to raise awareness. For 2022, they're amplifying the message together for mental health. Check the notes of today's show for resource links. But before we get into this topic today, I'm going to ask the general questions that I love to ask, <laughs> and that is, what's the last book you gave five stars to? That would be Fierce Kingdom by Jen Phillips. I don't know if you've read it. It's I like, have read it. Okay, so you know. It is like a trip. It is just a three-hour, like the whole book takes place over three hours. Uh, super fast-paced thriller about a mother and son that get stuck in a zoo. And I was in it for every single second. It felt like the same feeling that No Exit gave me. And I'm always chasing that like, fast-paced thriller feeling so that was an yeah easy, that action-packed like movie type yes. it was and it's a shorter book too and I'm yeah. surprised I don't hear more people talking about it it was so underrated I actually bought it from one of my subscribers from her like Pango Books store and I was like girl did you not like this like why did you sell this to me because I'm gonna cherish this book forever <laughs> yeah it's it's a wild ride for sure and I'm sure like moms everywhere that are reading it are just terrified oh, of something yeah. like this happening oh, because yeah. whoo it's a deep one but I really enjoyed it I'm glad you did too um what book has been on your TBR the longest and why haven't you read it yet so I actually had to look this one up and on my story graph it said that I added small sacrifices by Anne Rule that was the first book that I put on my TBR that I haven't read and it is 500 pages long, which is definitely working against it. But I feel like I'm moving away from reading true crime. I'm kind of just trying to figure out how I feel about the genre in general, uh, especially when it's true crime published in the 80s and 90s. It can feel more like salacious and exploitative of survivors and victims uh, rather than like 
what I would be looking into true crime for, which is just like the psychology aspects of it and like seeing how the case was handled. Um, so I'm just kind of in a weird place with true crime and I'm not sure if I'll ever get to the very first book on my TBR. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's totally valid. You bring up some really good discussions already. Like, just, it's kind of like, oh, it's historical, but it's like historical true crime. And it's it's a wild ride for sure. Yeah. All right, so pick your poison. What's your favorite book of all time? Or who's your favorite author? I think this answer is like pretty much the same. Everybody knows I'm the biggest Karen Slaughter stan of all time. And my all-time favorite book is Pretty Girls by Karen Slaughter. It was the first thriller I ever read that like, it felt like a perfect book to me. Like it brought the darkness and the gore and the like torture and the crazy twists that I love in a thriller, but it mixed in social commentary. And I had never seen that in a thriller before. I always read just like very basic domestic thrillers that didn't have a lot to say. So once I discovered that that exists out there, I was like blown away. And now it's my mission to find thrillers that actually have something to say. Yeah, dark, gritty, and something to say. Those are like the yes. trinity of like a good thriller book. Um, so I thought we would also talk about like if we're currently reading anything. I recently started, like I think a couple days ago, I started reading The Other Black Girl by Zakaya Delilah Harris. And this is about basically the publishing industry and these editorial assistants and how white that space can be. And um, we're talking about Wagner books in this one. So you have a 26-year-old editorial assistant, Nella Rogers. She's the only black employee at the start. And she's kind of just fed up with like, being the only black girl working there, the microaggressions that she gets on the daily. Um, and then another black woman starts working there that was Harlem born and bred. And she feels like, I finally have like a comrade, you know, like we could talk about things that people know about. And they kind of sort form this like little friendship. But then it kind of gets interesting because Hazel becomes the office darling and Nella is left in the dust. And there's also these like other chapters I haven't quite figured out yet, like how they fit into the story, but it's not like mind blowing. It's not like action packed, but it does have a lot of social commentary and just like the black experience, black culture, you know, things like that. So I'm, I'm learning a lot from it. Um, someone, I feel like I'm on the side of like knowing a lot already. So if a book like that can still teach me, I'm like, I, I need books that can still teach me something. So I'm really enjoying it for that aspect. And yeah, thumbs up for me so far. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's encouraging that you're giving it a thumbs up because I've heard very mixed things. I don't know, maybe when you get to the end, you'll feel different, but a lot of people did not like the twist at the ending of that one. So I've been hesitant to pick that one up. But of course, if you like it, I will trust you. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I'll let you know when I finish it how I feel because so far I'm not really, it doesn't feel like a thriller. It's just, I mean, it, you, she receives a note that says like, get out of Wagner now or something like that. And that doesn't happen until the hundred page mark. Oh, so the wow. first, the first hundred pages is really about all of like her being the only black person working there and about how, um, the person, like there's this author that's writing this book and she's trying to give like critiques on it. And it has like this, you know, black name that's like, they're like, really? And then like all of these just stereotypical things and, 
and she's trying to give feedback, but then the author gets really mad. Like all this like crazy stuff that as a white woman, <laughs> you know, I'm not thinking about. Right. So it's bringing up a lot of good points and I'm, I'm not taking it as a thriller. I'm just enjoying the ride so far. So <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to go into it. Uh, I am currently reading, well, I'm kind of in between books. I literally just finished this morning, The Broken Girls by Simone St. James. I gave it two stars. I don't know if that's controversial. All the reviews are so (laughs) wonderful of that book that I didn't like it. So I'm kind of like hitting a wall with thrillers. And I just picked up uh, Untamed by Glennon Doyle on audio. And that's like a nonfiction memoir-ish, self-help-ish book um, that kind of combines all of these factors that I identify with. It's about like discovering queerness and your identity as a woman and as a woman of faith as well there's like a christian lens which i enjoy so i don't know i'm only a chapter in i don't have much to say about it but i just needed a break from mediocre thrillers (laughs) (laughs) i feel you you get in a rut sometimes you just read so many you're like okay i need a break also on your youtube channel you recently recommended a nonfiction by brene brown i think what was yes my queen brene brown i love (laughs) all of her books the one that i was just talking about um i think it was um i thought it It was was just perfectionism and yeah it's called I Thought It Was Just Me, But It Isn't. It is Yes, so I purchased good. that. I just got oh, it in good. the mail yesterday because I do consider myself like one of those perfectionist people when I can't get out of my own head sometimes. And I was like, Haley, woman after my own heart, recommending the book I need in my life. So I it actually did pick wonderful. that up. So I can't oh. wait to read it. I was like sobbing when I was reading that book. So I hope it resonates with you. It's like, I'm a very like intellectual person. Like I will intellectualize anything. I can overthink things for days. I'm so cognitive. So like having something that's presented in that way where it's like very research heavy, very like this is what is proven. And then she like slowly turns you towards the more scary, like emotional side of things. She just does it in such a masterful way. It's, it's amazing. I love her. I'm very proud to be a fellow Longhorn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah, I was really excited to hear you talk about that book. I immediately, like I was watching your video and I like paused it and went out and ordered it. And yeah, so <laughs> looking forward to that one. But uh, before we get into some recommendations, because of course we have some recommendations for you guys. I thought we would just in general answer the question, why is mental health representation impor- important in books and media? all of that. But I find it not only important, but quite powerful and maybe even healing in some way. I also believe it makes people rethink like their preconceived notions and potentially, potentially, hopefully even do some own research to find proper information. Because when you have those preconceived notions and then you read something that's against like what you thought, like maybe you're like, huh, maybe I need to do more research about this. Um, Like I said, that's the hope. (laughs) I think at the end of the day, like all representation matters because it makes you feel seen. And when you read about someone like you dealing with the same thing or similar thing, as you that's just really powerful Um, not everyone has a great support system in place not everyone has access to a great therapist so even something seemingly small like seeing yourself represented in a book can have a big impact it all comes down to inclusivity and perception 
seeing or in this case reading about a character who can look act and experience life like you makes you feel included in society exactly i think representation is extremely important whether we're talking about race sexuality or mental health really any factors uh, personally, I like reading books the most that I can identify myself in. I always have to attach myself to a character that feels close-ish to my own personality. Maybe they're a bad person, maybe they're a good person. I just kind of have to relate to a character and say, okay, that's me in the story. And I remember the first time that I read about an anxious female character in a book, and I just felt so seen and so validated. And um, I feel like there's a lot of YA representation, but it's a little bit more difficult to find in adult books, especially in the thriller genre. Uh, the book that I'm thinking of is Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. When I read that book, it just like changed my whole life. I had to sob about it because I did not think that anybody else felt the way that I did. And just having this fictional person feel that is a very powerful tool for understanding, validation, empathy, awareness, all of these wonderful therapeutic tools. <laughs> so books can actually be therapy if you, you can't afford it, not really. Um, but it is nice to have. And beyond representation, like you were saying, I think it's debatably even more important to have accurate mental health rep for educational purposes. I think people have an idea of what certain psychological disorders look like, especially if they're like ones that are very commonly featured in the media, like DID or something like that, that feels very sensational. And reading a more accurate account of what the experience of those symptoms actually feels like to a character can change the reader's perspective on whatever diagnosis or symptom they're reading about. Um, of course, it's up to the author to have that be accurate representation, though. Uh, but if it is, it can help to reduce the stigma around mental health disorders and clarify what certain disorders are or what they are not, contrary to popular belief. And additionally, some people may have their first exposure to any talk of therapy or mental health through a fictional novel. So someone might never have considered going to therapy before they see it represented in a book. I think that's why it's so, so important that this representation is accurate and approachable. It feels like a positive thing. It shouldn't be scary or used as a uh, twist or a plot point because, again, that might contribute to the stigma and actually discourage people from seeking help in real life. I love that when you were talking about like anxiety and stuff like that, being anxious and how you found that book and you were like, oh my goodness, I found this book and I know exactly what she's going through. It's crazy because sometimes like I also have anxiety and it's more like social anxiety. And I mean, obviously I love talking to people. I love being around people, but it's just like that first interaction, but I could never explain it properly. Like people are like, well, what are you like scared of is what they would say. And I'm like, well, I'm not scared. 
you know, and I couldn't, I didn't have the vocabulary or, you know, the terms that I needed to say to them to like try to explain it. But I was like, but it's real, you know? And I feel like when I read that in a book, I was like, oh, see this. And I, you know, would just read a direct quote out of there. I was like, this, this is the way I'm feeling. So it is, it is very nice in that way. 100%. Something I tell my clients all the time is that we're just looking to put a name on it. Once you name a feeling, it takes the power away. It's like, you know, in Harry Potter, like not saying Voldemort gives Voldemort more power. It's like the same thing when you don't know how to name and talk about your anxiety. It can kind of feel like it's taking over and fiction can give you those words to name it and define it and help you begin to process it. Yeah, love that. So while shining a light on Mental Health Awareness Month, I thought it would be good to share some recommendations as well. Um, it could be hard figuring out like, is this good representation? Is this bad representation? Um, I suggest if you're unsure about what's being represented, like number one, that means that your heart's in the right spot. You're trying to figure it out because you want to, you know, know. So good. <laughs> number two, the internet is your friend. It's available if you're able to get on the internet and do some searches, more than one search, guys. Don't just Google it, go to one thing, and then the, whatever that person says. Uh, and number three, like ask someone, look for reviewers that have these mental illnesses, their reviews, um, you know, ask your family, ask your friends, ask more than one person, you know. So anything else you would suggest, Haley? I think outside of just doing research, the best way to figure out if mental health rep is positive is just to look inwards and see if you feel empathy. If you feel aligned with a character that is facing a certain mental health challenge, the author has done their job. Mentally ill people should never be demonized in a book or made to be like the villain or the antagonist of the story because of their condition. So of course you can have a villain in a story that struggles with anxiety, but it shouldn't be framed as this person is evil because they have anxiety. And the same kind of goes for therapy rep. Any therapist character in a book should be represented in an ethical way. Um, and if you're not fully intimately familiar with counseling ethics codes, because I think nobody else's except for me. I don't expect that. Um, it basically means that the therapy sessions should not feel icky to the reader. It should all feel safe and supportive, unless, of course, the goal of the book is to shine a light on an abusive therapist, like have commentary on that issue. Mm -hmm. But then again, it's so tricky because that may actually be an issue, but shining light on that issue may turn readers away from seeking therapy in real life because of fear that that very rare issue that took place in a book may happen to them. It's just such a tricky balance. But I think the end all be all is empathy. If mental health is approached with empathy, you really can't go wrong. I love that you said that because that was, I was like, that's exactly it. That, that is the word that sums it up, baby. I was like, that's so perfect. And this is why I'm having you on this episode. <laughs> so, um, all right, jumping into some book recommendations now. As a reminder, all the books we mentioned today will be listed in the notes of today's episode. We have quite a few, so I know you don't have to get out a pen and paper. You can always reference this episode at a later time and just check out the books listed in the show notes. So um, my first set of recommendations are like YA books. And there are so many, like you mentioned earlier, 
YA books with mental health representation. In, and I think that is wonderful because I think as adults, we've kind of, we're more familiar with like how to, you know, display our emotions, talk about things, not all the time, but in general, I would say an adult is better at it than, you know, a teenager, let's say. And so having this where they can say, oh, I'm kind of experiencing the same thing this person is. Maybe I should talk to my mom and dad. <laughs> like, I think that is wonderful. But some of my very, very favorites, um, Turtles All the Way Down by John Green. On the surface, Turtles All the Way Down is the story of 16-year-old Aza, who is trying to solve a mystery of a fugitive billionaire. But the novel is really a revelation of what it's like to live with anxiety and um, obsessive compulsive disorder like OCD. Um, Green has been very open about his own similar struggles and this is his first book to tackle the subject so directly. Um, another one, um, Girl in Pieces by Kathleen Glasgow and Winter Girls by Lori Hoss Anderson. Neither of these are like easy reads, um, but I think they're just like poignant and transcendent and if you deal with the things in here, I think you will 100% be seen. Um, and finally, um, Obsessed, a memoir of my life with OCD by Alison Britz. Um, I read this one back in 2017. And even though it's a memoir, it was like one of the first memoirs I have read in like up until that point for like a few years. So I was a little hesitant going in. They can be a little dry. They can be a little sometimes like factual when you really just kind of want the story a little bit more feel like fiction. You know, you don't want mm -hmm. it to read like a textbook, but this one was so approachable and it was just so in depth at the same time. So really liked those. And yeah. I have quite a few YA recommendations as well. Um, first author I would recommend literally her entire backlist is Elizabeth Acevedo. My favorite of hers is The Poet X. Uh, but she touches on a lot of issues that are poignant, not just for adolescents, but for adults as well, like anxiety, grief, identity issues, social issues. Uh, those are obviously really, really prominent in adolescence, and they can leave wounds that can be um, still pretty heavy for adults as well. And all of those themes are heavily featured in her books. Um, she always deals with it in a way that feels really validating and supportive, um, not in a way that demonizes the people that are putting pressure on the kids, like in The Poet X. It's about a girl who's really trying to find herself, and she copes with everything that's coming up for her with slam poetry. And there's a lot of criticism of her family, um, which obviously when we feel pressure from our family, there is uh, an attempt to criticize them. But she really dives into it with, again, the word, the magic word, empathy. <laughs> and I think Elizabeth Acevedo does that in all of her books. Uh, another one is Grown by Tiffany D. Jackson. This is the best YA thriller I have ever read. And I have also never seen better rep for the like nervous system activation and trauma symptoms that follow sexual abuse. Um, in this book, we follow a minor who is being groomed. And I think it can be great to kind of gain some understanding or feel seen if you yourself have gone through that. But it can also help people who have never gone through that and even adult readers to gain empathy for survivors of grooming and other sexual abuse um, without putting blame on the victim. 
Another one that is really great for depression rep is All the Bright Places by Jennifer Niven. I read this when I was depressed and I was 17 and, you know, the whole world was falling apart. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And it is definitely a heavy, heavy read. There's a lot of talk about suicide and depression and the experience of all of those symptoms. But I think if you're in it and you want to feel seen in it, this is a great one. Just make sure you're prepared. And the last one was actually my best book that I read in 2020, and that is The Black Flamingo by Dean Atta. This follows a queer mixed race main character. It's written in verse, and it chronicles how our main character just copes with various mental health struggles like familial trauma, insecurity, anxiety, isolation, um, discovering his queer identity. And it's absolutely phenomenal. He copes using the art of drag, and I'm a big Drag Race fan, so this book was perfect for me. Also, I do want to mention, when I talk about identity and queerness in mental health, I'm not saying that that is a mental health diagnosis or a struggle. Obviously, being born queer is a wonderful thing. I think so. I think I'm wonderful. Um, But it's very, very common that people in marginalized communities like the LGBTQIA community will have proportionately more mental health struggles. And my um, practice is based in queer therapy. So that's why I mentioned that. But it's definitely not a, a diagnosis or anything like that. Yeah, love that. Um, So moving on to some adult recommendations now, I'll start with a classic, The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. Um, It took me forever to finally read this book. I've wanted to read it for so long. And I wanted to own a copy because I knew it was a book I was going to fall in love with. Um, It's a short book, but there's also so many covers. And I was like, which cover do I want to own? Which one can I get my hands on? Um, But yeah, so... um, Keep in mind that some of the terminology used in this book may be out of date, of course, with anything. It's always changing. I'm sure in your field, you could say something one day and then it's a totally different thing the next. 100%. You have to keep up with that all the time. So, of course, if these books are written even a year ago, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be something outdated. So just keep in mind. For all of the books that we mentioned today, that may be the case. Um, But in this one, it tells the story of Esther Greenwood, who is um, completing an internship at a magazine in New York. It's meant to be like this glamorous, exciting experience, but the young writer finds herself feeling disenchanted and flat. And on her return home, she spirals into depression, resulting in suicide attempts, um, electroconvulsive therapy, and time in a mental institute. It was such a powerful read. It was very like just well-written on its own. Like even if it was talking about rainbow and sunshine and butterflies, like it was just well-written, but then also it had this like really deep dive look and it also kind of like mirrors Sylvia Palast life. And it was just, I don't know, it was transcendent. It was written in 1963. So like I said, keep that in mind going in. Yeah, I love that one as well. And even though it's outdated, I think, you know, looking beyond the terminology, just at the emotions and the depth that Sylvia Plath writes about, it's so, so relevant still today. 
Um, my first adult recommendation would be If Only I Could Tell You by Hannah Beckerman. This is a kind of family drama. It's a contemporary, and we follow this broken family. It's set in the UK, and there's this very British mother who's very proper and her two daughters who are estranged from each other in the wake of the suicide of one of their family members. So... We get to see some pretty powerful and heartbreakingly relatable, if, if you're like me, uh, dysfunctional family dynamics. And it really shines a light on, you know, how flawed families can be behind closed doors. The, you might, you know, scroll through Facebook and see all these beautiful, one, wonderful, smiling families, but behind closed doors, you never really know what's going on. And there's a lot of diving into coping with grief, coping with depression, and dealing with suicidality as well. Very nice. So I recently read a couple books by Lucinda Berry. You did too. And I was so yes. excited with the results of that video. <laughs> um, but they just really stood out to me. Um, the first one being The Perfect Child and the second Saving Noah. Those were my two favorites that I read of the four that I read. Same. Um, Dr. Lucinda Berry is a formal clinical psychologist and leading researcher in childhood trauma. And I think you just, you don't even have to read the back of the book to know that oh, because yeah. it just is so, you're like, yep, you know, this is someone that knows what she's talking about. Um, so now she spends her days, of course, writing full time, um, where she uses her clinical experience to blur the line between fiction and nonfiction. She enjoys taking her readers on a journey through the dark recesses of the human psyche. And boy, does she go there. So both of these are, I guess, quote unquote, a thriller, you know, if you want to throw them in a genre, but oh, I think yeah. they kind of break that bounds of the genre, you know, because it talks about so many other things and, I just, my mind was blown at like how interesting the stories were, how I was just hanging on to her every word. And, you know, they do have therapy in these books, like you were talking about earlier. And when those there, I was like, oh, Haley needs to read these books. And then you did. So, so yeah, tell me a little bit about Lucinda Berry. Like, what did you think overall? Like, I was just so, oh. I want to be Lucinda Berry when I grow up. Seriously, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Like when I'm ready to retire from my practice, I will be picking up a thriller writing hobby. I don't know if I could do it as brilliantly as she does, but <laughs> I love, love the idea of making a thriller that still has like the darkness and the twists that we want without glorifying really shoddy mental health rep. Like all of the therapy rep in her books is fabulous. And in Saving Noah, I, I mean, I've never seen mainstream representation for a paraphilia, uh, which is basically just a class of mental health disorders around sexual dysfunction. And uh, pedophilic disorder is really what the focus of Saving Noah is. It follows a teenager who is trying to cope with pedophilic disorder. It's oftentimes really demonized. Obviously, it's one of the biggest challenges of becoming a therapist is coping with how will I 
find empathy and unconditional positive regard for somebody who has touched children inappropriately. It feels almost impossible, but if you become a therapist, you understand what that journey looks like. And I think Lucinda Berry really gives the average person who doesn't have to do that a look into how that empathy can develop and what it's like to really feel that unconditional positive regard for any person, no matter what they're struggling with. I know that's correct. We're back to that magic word empathy. That's exactly exactly because so many people think like it's like that moral dilemma thing that people Mm -hmm. always talk about. They're like, how can this happen? And I'm okay with it type thing. Not that you're okay with it, but you know, you're like you develop that empathy for that character where maybe initially going in, you didn't think you were going to, or you're like, how did this work? Or, you know, how's this going to play out? But yeah, she did that. And oh, so good. I'm I'm ordering like all of her books. Like I just want to own her whole, like all of the books because, oh, so good. <laughs> if, I don't know if this episode is going to come out in May, but if it is, then y'all have to go run to Kindle Unlimited and download her new book. I think it's called Under Her Care. It is like free right now. Amazon is doing a thing where it's going to be $4.99 when it comes out, but you can get an advanced copy for free. So if you want to try out some Lucinda Berry, now's the time. Yes, for sure. (laughs) So my next couple recs are also thrillers as well. I think somebody who also does a really great mental health rep is Lisa Jewell. She is a British thriller writer. Y'all know I love my British thrillers. And she doesn't have any therapy background, but I think she just writes with such depth and our magic word, empathy, that it makes it almost feel like mental health rep. I think it's really easy to feel seen and validated in her books, even if she is talking about a character that sounds so effed up, like you could never (laughs) empathize with them. She finds a way to bring you to that level. So my favorite one of hers that I never hear anybody talk about is called The House We Grew Up In. It's a psychological drama slash thriller, and it follows another dysfunctional family, and every single member of the family has their own mental health thing going on, whether it's you know self-harm, depression, grief, and all the rep is extremely well done, and it captures just human flaws in a very visceral way, but it's also very, very beautiful the way that she writes about it. And I think the most interesting character is the matriarch of the family. She recently passed away, and throughout her life, she struggled with hoarding disorder, which is another one that, like, is super sensationalized in the media. You always see, like, really, really horrible, (laughs) uh, lacking empathy representation for hoarding disorder. Like, if you turn on TLC, there's, like, an 80% chance you're going to see somebody just absolutely being destroyed for their mental illness. Um... So the story begins when all of this mother's children have to meet up and clean out her house in the wake of her passing, and it's just stuff everywhere. And as they're cleaning out and going through the stuff that she hoarded, they're gaining understanding for their mom. It is so, so sweet. Oh my goodness, it always (laughs) brings a tear to my eye. That is one I have not read, and I know you've talked about it. I need to pick that one up. It is another one like Saving Noah where you 
just know that these people, every single one of them have so many flaws, but you feel so much empathy for every single one of them. Um, and then her newest release I also thought was great. It's called The Night She Disappeared. It's more of a thriller than the last one, and it dives into grief, loss, depression, trauma, and it also has representation for romantic partner abuse. Uh, we follow the disappearance of Tallulah, who is a very responsible teen mother. She went missing when she uncharacteristically attended a house party. She's not one to go out and party. She's always at home with her kid. And the one time she goes out, she does not come home. So her grandmother is searching for her for years and years. And as she's going through her things, she uncovers the secret struggles that Tallulah was coping with behind the scenes of this very responsible veneer. Uh, there's also representation in here for identity questioning, sexuality questioning. Uh, our main character has to grow up super, super fast being a teen mom. She gets pregnant at 16 and never gets the chance to really discover who she is. So hearing about that journey for me was also really, really great. And I felt super represented. I feel like there's very, very little queer rep in um, domestic thrillers especially that's done well so we'd love to see that yeah i really loved that one that was a good one <laughs> um my next recommendation is marbles mania depression michelangelo and me by ellen forney now this is a graphic memoir and it's the first time i've ever read a graphic memoir but it tells like the authors like of her bipolar disorder um, and it's woven together with stories of other bipolar artists and writers and stuff like that. And it's almost like, <laughs> I mean, I definitely don't know much about, you know, the disorder, but I felt like I could see it on page represented as art. And that was very powerful. You know, like if you hear a song that kind of represents something or a piece of art, it's it, it was like otherworldly almost. Like I was just like, I'm actually seeing this on page, but she's also telling me about it. And it was just, that was very interesting. So if you're into graphic, like novels, this is a graphic memoir, definitely check it out. Um, moving on to a couple of new releases I would like to recommend. The first is Weather Girl by Rachel Lynn Solomon. Um, this had so much representation in it, even outside of like, um, mental health. Um, but in this one, Ari's depression is mostly manageable and it's taken her nearly a decade to get to that point. Thanks to her therapist. <laughs> um, and she's highlighted as a neurodiverse heroine that's on medication. She goes to therapy and is also falling in love and thriving. Um, so I just... Everything about that book, even if you don't like the story, the representation trumps all. Wow. Like, because the representation to me was just the most beautiful part of that story. Oh, I think I knew um, that. <laughs> yeah, you do. You, you like it's it's a rom com. So you know, even if you're not into rom coms, I think it like it has plus size representation, but it's not the girl that's plus size. It's oh the guy gosh, that's plus size. I, I know. <laughs> I was just, I was living. Yes. Um, and the second one I want to recommend is a. A more recent read for me and I've been talking about this book non-stop because um, it just hit so close to home for um, me and things that I'm dealing with with my family um, and it is The Swimmers by Julie Otsuka. Um, 
This one is quite short. It's a little tiny little book. I initially read it on audiobook because I couldn't get my hands on a physical copy. My library didn't have a copy. It's like $20 for this book. I was like, I'm just going to listen to it on audio. And that's how you know I really wanted to read it because I <laughs> never just listen. Um, but I did. And then I fell in love with it. And then I was, of course, like, Pango Books, here I come to get me <laughs> some of the swimmers because, um, but this one, um, what happens to a group of obsessed recreational swimmers when a crack appears at the bottom of their local pool? Like, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> so that's kind of like the first part is you have these swimmers and it's all like this Greek chorus. We, we the swimmers do this and then we do that. And it's very interesting. But then the second part of the book, after the pool ultimately closes, um, it focuses in on one of the swimmers, Alice, um, Japanese American. So I think she's like in her 80s. Uh, she's losing her memory. And the pool for her was like the final stand against the darkness and her encroaching dementia. And without like the other swimmers to like help her and just like it totally changed up her routine. She's not going to the pool anymore. But there's this one chapter that like, I'm even kind of getting choked up thinking about it. Um, it was talking about all of the things that she remembered still. And it was like, you know, she remembers that she was married on this date and that we live on this street and da, 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 da. But she doesn't remember what she ate for breakfast. And I was just like, ah. So I am also dealing with a family member that is losing their memory and going through these exact things. And it was just like that kind of perfect time, perfect read for me. And of course, I'm not a therapist. I don't know. I'm not, you know, in the mental health field, but I would say this is good representation because number one, empathy, but like, it's literally what I'm dealing with. And it feels like <laughs> exactly what I'm going through. So, and then she's also sent to this like uh, treatment center, like kind of thing. And it's just kind of like, it almost felt like a little dystopian in a way. Like, I don't Ooh. know. It was just, it was so good. It was so just, just read it guys. <laughs> if you take one recommendation and plus like author of color, like just do it. Julie Otsuka, the swimmers highly recommend. <laughs> I am putting that on my TBR immediately. That sounds amazing. Uh, I have a couple new release recs as well. The first one is Hook, Line, and Sinker by Tessa Bailey. This is yet another contemporary romance, but this one surprised me with the mental health rep. It was wonderful. Some of the best that I've seen in the romance genre ever. Uh, both characters, the male and the female love interest, are dealing with past trauma and attachment disorder type of things. And our female character struggles with anxiety and insecurity. A lot of it is around like work and believing in herself and asking what she wants and not being afraid to go after what she deserves. And the guy is kind of dealing with body image issues. And he's like this super attractive, like Chris Evans, sexy guy. <laughs> and seeing the way that he is dealing with this like past trauma and insecurity about his sexuality and his body was just really interesting representation that I don't think we get a lot, but I love seeing the way that each of the partners help the other one 
through their individual struggles without like breaking any boundaries or sacrificing their own mental health to help the other person. It was just absolutely beautiful the way that it was done. It really felt like two people's own individual stories that came together with like this love, wonderful, happy ending rather than like the story of their romance. It was so emotional and Tessa Bailey does that so well. And there's also therapy rep in there as well. It is so good. Nice. <laughs> I, if you <laughs> liked the first uh, book in the series that happened one summer, you're going to like this one even more. Like, I didn't okay. think I could love anything more than it happened one summer, but this one did it for me. Nice. I'm excited now. <laughs> it is so good. And then the last one I have is kind of off the wall. It is called You've Lost a Lot of Blood by Eric LaRocca. This is the author that wrote... Um, Things have changed since we last spoke. Things have gotten worse since we last last spoke. Yeah, that's the one. The titles are literally so long, but they are (laughs) weird, weird books. They're teeny, tiny, short horror novellas, both of them. And this one is super metaphorical. So it doesn't have like direct, I feel so seen, kind of validating mental health rep. But if you like kind of weird metaphors about mental illness and the human psyche, you will enjoy this one. It's very gory. It's kind of off the wall. It's a little bit sci-fi. But again, if you like the kind of allegories for the human experience kind of thing, this is for you. I was like overthinking and overanalyzing every facet of this book and I totally like lost myself in it. I was like, oh my God, this means this and this totally makes me think of this and this is how humans think about this and conceptualizing like self-harm and all of these things. I was like, my therapist brain was totally activated by this book (laughs) and that's how I know that there's something in there that makes you think. So highly recommend for specific people. Yeah, specific people. Yeah, I do have that on my TBR. I liked his uh, Things Have Gotten Worse, and so I think I'll like this one, too. And people say, if I liked that one, then I'll probably like this one, For too. For sure. So. Yeah, so I'm excited. And it's a little, it's a tiny bit longer, so <laughs> I'm excited yeah, about that. Yeah, it looks longer. There are probably, probably like, <laughs> 30 to 50 blank pages in there with just, like, little oh. drawings. Yeah, it's very interesting. Oh. Okay, that is interesting. Um, so I hope you guys, you know, take some of these recommendations and go for it. Um, use that magic word empathy as you're trying to draw on, like, is this good? Is this bad? Um, but while depictions of mental illness, mental health in fiction can act to help and humanize, it can also potentially harm. So similar for to portraying other marginalized groups, one-dimensional or poorly researched characters with mental health struggles can reinforce hurtful stereotypes and spread misinformation. Another common issue involves portraying mentally ill characters only at their lowest Mm -hmm. or as incapable. Um, People with mental illnesses are capable of holding down jobs, pursuing goals, and seeing to the needs of their families, especially when supported by proper treatment. Um, Not always the case, but they could still do those things with without proper treatment but just like it goes back to like let's not demonize these people like you know these are things that they're having to deal with and 
empathy guys empathy <laughs> anyway i just wanted to say thank you so much for sitting down and talking to me today about this sharing your recommendations and just your general thoughts about mental health representation um in fiction especially because that's our wheelhouse yeah. um yeah <laughs> thank you so much for having me i love talking about this stuff i'm always willing to bring out my therapist brain so if you want to pick my brain, come on over to my channel and leave me a comment about mental health. I love talking about it, especially in the context of books. That's like my two yeah, favorite things. Yeah, absolutely. Go to her channel. I'm going to have her social media links um, in the show notes. And any of your videos that you watch, you always like, if it's in there, you're going to mention it. And you're going to say if it's good or bad. Yep. So go subscribe, follow along in her journey. Um, and yeah, and then follow along in mine by following me on Instagram at TalkBookishPodcast. And check out the TalkBookish to Me Patreon and become a night owl for $5 a month. Until next time, happy reading. Mm -hmm.